0: If you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, we'll be in James chapter 5 today. If you're using the Pew Bible there in front of you, it's on page 856. James chapter 5. I'm gonna read verses 7 through 12. James chapter 5, 7 through 12. James writes, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How many of you at some point in your life have been a group, a part of a group of people that were forced to wait for someone or something? Anybody? It's just one of those great questions that gets all of us. Because it's part of the human condition that you and I, from time to time, sometimes more than we would like to experience, We run into things that we just can't overcome. No matter how much time we have, no matter how much money we have or resources, it's just this frustrating thing about being a finite, limited human that every now and then we run into these things that we cannot change and we're required to be patient. And in my experience, it's actually worse sometimes when you have to wait with a group of people. Sometimes I'm better by myself waiting, but when I'm a part of a group of people that's forced to wait, sometimes it's even more difficult. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, Christmas before the pandemic, which seems like 40 years ago, um, our family went home to South Carolina. we were going to celebrate Christmas, and we decided in that week following that we would go skiing Now, this was not Breckenridge or anywhere, you know, just North Carolina mountains, and we all loaded up in the car, and we drove up there for the day to ski, and it was really great. There was some waiting involved. You have to wait on the chairlift to come around and take you back up, but generally speaking, we had a wonderful time. No broken bones. At my age, no ACLs blown out. You know, I'm I'm getting that age where I'm like, that was a good trip. I didn't break anything. And we got back to the car, and it was time to go back home, and we were exhausted, and we were famished. Skiing wears you out. In my case, getting up over and over again wears you out. And so we were like, all right, we need something to eat before we go all the way back. Like everybody else who had been skiing that day. So maybe you've done this. We thought, all right, let's just find a restaurant. And we go to this restaurant, and we're like, sorry, hour wait. We're like, nope, can't do that. We go to the next restaurant. Oh, hour and a half. Sorry, can't do that. Go to the next restaurant. And finally, we were like, okay, we just got to cut our losses. Just put our name on the list, hunker down, and wait. They said 45 minutes. I said, sure, we can do that. And it started out pretty, pretty good, actually. Caught our name pretty fast, got to the table, got the drinks, got the complimentary bread, which we devoured, some appetizers. And at that point, everything came to a grinding halt. And we sat there in the restaurant. Again, remember, we're tired. We're hungry. We're in close proximity to family, right? You can feel the tension starting to rise as we're sitting there. And eventually, someone broke. It just broke. And the grumbling started. And as contagious as any virus that you've ever seen, grumbling is also contagious. Grumbling about the cook. Grumbling about the waitstaff. Grumbling about our drinks not being full anymore. You know, you've been there? Just grumbling. And from my vantage point, I could see into the kitchen. And I, I, I looked over the kitchen at one point, and I kid you not, there's tickets everywhere, and there's this guy going <laughs> like this. And you're like, oh, gosh. And so we waited, and we waited, and we all but gave a standing ovation, you know, when our food finally came out. We'd been fooled lots of times, you know. Waiter comes out, oh, nope, not you. We finally got food. Chances are you've had experience like that before where you've had to wait. And here's the thing, waiting for food, that's one thing. Even waiting for a flight, that's, you know, you can deal with that. But there's some things that you and I in life are forced to wait on that are much more difficult to wait through. There's things in life that you and I know aren't like they ought to be, and it could be just sickness that we deal with. It could be relational conflict that we deal with. It could be a number of things that you and I struggle with in this life, and there is this difficulty that we have sometimes being patient or waiting for a diagnosis or waiting for news about our job next year or we're waiting about filling the blank. All these things that you and I struggle with, and if that's you this morning, If honestly that you're in the place where you're like, I want to be joyful for Christmas. I want to be happy and sing carols. But the truth of the matter is, I'm kind of grumbling today. And I'm grumbling against God and I'm grumbling against God's people. And maybe I'm grumbling against that old pastor up there. Maybe there are all these things in your heart that are causing you to grumble. And if that's not where you are today, it's where you'll be at some point in your life that all of us run through these seasons. And if that's true, then Advent is the season for you. Because Advent is this season where you and I acknowledge the fact that we live in the tension between Jesus' first coming into the world as the baby in the Bethlehem manger, and his second coming into the world as the conquering king who will make all things new And you and I live in that in-between time. And there are just moments where you and I struggle and we wrestle and our patience wears thin. And so the message of James to us today is one of patience and one for us to look back and to look forward to God's work. And as we look back and as we look forward, to be reminded that God is merciful and gracious to us. So in James chapter 5, James starts out... He's, as James often is, just really straightforward. And one of the reasons that James is always kind of encouraging us to remain faithful and to keep going forward in the midst of trials and suffering and hardship is that living the Christian life, and we we talked about this some last week, sometimes living the faithful Christian life is going to make your life more difficult and harder in the short run. It just is. And so he's writing to say, as you're living into this faithful life, you're going to have to be patient. And so he starts out, Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. And there's this, this truth in the New Testament that, that one day Jesus will return. And it may or may not be in our lifetimes, but in every season in which God's people live in the earth, we're called to live with this expectant hope and expectation that one day, maybe even today, will be the day that Jesus returns and completes his work of making all things new. Have you ever, have you ever walked out and looked at the sky and said, is today the day? I, I, I have. I've walked out before and thought. And and in more more honest, tough moments, I've said, hey, today be good with me. Like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm weary. But you and I are called to live in expectation that the Lord is at hand, that he might come at any moment. And then he gives us these, these pictures. The thing I like about this passage, it's full of illustrations and pictures for us to wrap our minds around what James is saying. He says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now here's, here's the thing. I'm really glad that there's a place called Publix. Or Winn-Dixie. Or wherever it is that you like to go get your vittles. Like I'm glad that there is a place like that because I really believe that if I were called to grow all of my own food, that the Splon family would starve real quickly. Or you would be on your door like knocking, like, hey, can we eat? But I know enough about farming to know that it takes patience and you have to wait. And he says, see how the farmer goes out and he he does what he can, but then he has to do what? Wait. And the rain comes and he hopes, by God's grace, that there will be growth. I've told you all this before that in my previous home, I tried to grow grass in my backyard several times tried everything, seed, sod, whatever, it never grew, right? And there is this helplessness that you can do what you can do, but you can't make things grow, right? And in a, in, a, in a similar way as you and I, it's likely the case probably that there are people in your life that you would love to see God's Word take root and grow and produce fruit. Probably every one of us in this room has someone in our family or a friend that, that we would love to see them come alive to Jesus and his word and grow. And there may be moments in our relationships with them where we think it's never going to happen. Right? We're trying and we're sowing and we're being as faithful as we know how and to the best of our understanding nothing's happening. And I think James says to us in those moments, just be faithful to what God's called you to in this season. And be patient that God's called you to do what you can do. And ultimately, he is the one to give growth in that area. So that's the first group of people that I think, here's something from James in this passage about being patient and moving forward. Verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, the truth that the Lord is coming back. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, one of the things that you and I are tempted to do when life gets hard and we don't see the change that we want to see as soon as we would like to do, see it is that we start looking for people to blame and we grumble. And we look at people around us and we think, well, it's that guy's fault or it's her issue or I'm not seeing this because of these people. And I love this picture James gives of two people arguing and not knowing that someone is at the door. How many of you have ever argued with a sibling? And if the parents aren't there, it's like gloves are coming off, right? Right? Like, we're going to get into it if the parents aren't here. And, and just imagine how different it is that when you're arguing and you become aware that perhaps mom or dad is, like, just right there. Or they open the door and they pop in and you're like, and in your mind you're like, how much did they hear? I don't know. in a similar way, you all, that we believe that God is present with us. And we believe that he's called us into a family of faith as brothers and sisters in Jesus and that how we talk to and about each other matters to him. Because we can kind of get fooled into thinking that God's not here sometimes and that what we say he doesn't hear or care about or acknowledge. But the truth of the matter is, is that God is at hand. And in those moments when our patience wears thin and our nerves are raw and we're looking for somebody to grumble or to blame whatever our thing is, that we need to be reminded that everybody that we encounter is someone created in God's image, someone for whom Jesus died. And we need to speak to them and about them as if the Lord himself were standing there beside us. Don't grumble against each other. Next, he talks about the prophets. He says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now a prophet is just someone who takes God's word and shares it or delivers it to God's people. And when you read the Old Testament, if there's one job that I'm not signing up for probably in the Old Testament, it's prophet. Cuz usually the faithful prophets, you know what they had to do? They had to come into a context where the other prophets were like, "Hey everybody, you're doing great. Just keep giving the money, keep making the sacrifices." everything's fine. And then the faithful prophets had to come in and be like, guys, this is not popular, um, but we're a bunch of dirty sinners and we should repent. Right? And they had to come out and just deliver that message to God's people. And, and do you think people were always excited to hear that message? No. They much prefer to hear, you're doing great. And the prophets who would come out and be faithful to God's Word in those moments to call them to repentance, into repentance and to a better life had to endure a lot of suffering and hardship along the way. And they were faced with this reality that they cannot change people's hearts, that only God can do that work. And, and I don't put myself in the category of Isaiah or Jeremiah, but I do feel like God's called me to teach His Word to His people. And I'll just be honest with you that there are moments where if I were the one making the timetable and creating the change, things would happen faster than they do. It's one thing I've learned in the first 11, 12 months of ministry. is that it's not just about saying the right words or doing the right things, but, but we really are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to be at work To bless what we're doing and to do something that only He can do in the lives of God's people. And so He says, Hey, those of you who speak God's word to God's people, be patient. And then lastly, He gives us the example of Job. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord. So it may be that you're here and you're worn out from sowing God's word in people's lives and waiting to see fruit happen. It might be that you're called to some ministry where you're calling people to a greater level of faithfulness and you're worn out. Or it may be that you're here and you're just you're suffering with your own stuff. And it could be a physical thing that you can't change it could be a diagnosis. It could be a relational thing that you're suffering through. And if you remember anything about the book of Job, it's that all of his friends were so happy to come in and diagnose Job's problem. Do you remember that? It's just it's, it's tough to read. For like 100 chapters, it feels like that. It's not quite 100, but it's a lot. And they just go on and on, helping Job see the ways that he's fallen short, all the things that he's done to bring this on himself. And they're basically like, hey, Job, if you just repent and own this, then God's going to come and change things for you. And we know, reading the book of Job outside the story, that Job is not suffering because of anything that he's done in and of his own. But there's this bigger thing happening in Job's life that, that ultimately only Job, only thing he can do is cover his mouth and acknowledge that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But he went through that difficult part of suffering that is amplified, or is that much more difficult because of all these people coming into his life and saying, this is what it is. is." If you've gone through that yourself, you know how frustrating that can be. To suffer and all these well-meaning people telling you why or what you ought to do, when you really just need someone to sit down in the ashes with you, so if that's where you are this morning, James' message comes to us and he says, here's the thing, that ultimately in Job's life, God showed himself to be compassionate and he showed himself to be merciful. And in time, God, either in this life or in life to come, for those of you who are suffering, will show himself to be the same way. Compassionate, and, merciful. and it's so helpful for us to look at a passage like James 5 during Advent as we're looking back to Christ's first entrance into the world as a human like you and me while looking forward because one of the important truths about the Incarnation is that Jesus became like us. In every way, he became like us in every way. He knows our frame and he knows what it is to be dust. I like this, um, this Christian singer-songwriter guy. And he just put out a new Christmas album. And he, he did Away in a Manger and he changed it. Which I'm usually not for. But this part I am for. He talks about Jesus in the manger And Jesus, instead of our traditional version, kind of being this quiet, perfect child, no crying he makes, instead he acknowledges the fact that Jesus was a baby just like every other baby that's ever been born in the world. And when he woke up, he was afraid just like every other kid that's ever been born in the world, and looking for people outside of him to help him. And that is the truth of Christmas. There's not one part of our human experience that God does not know. And because of that, he can look at us with compassionate and kind eyes. And the truth that that a bruised reed he will not break A flickering flame he will not put out, but he is compassionate and kind and merciful in our lives. And So as you're walking through life, and it's hard, as you're walking through life and God calls you to be patient and to wait upon him, it is this truth that the Lord's at hand, the Lord's at work, that Jesus even now stands at the right hand of the Father to pray and intercede for us, and that one day we believe that Christ will return, and he will make all things new, and you and I will live in this different experience where the things of this fallen world are no more. Death and dying, decay, relational conflict, all the things that you and I struggle with, will pass away. And our hope is that one day we'll be ultimately reconciled with the Father and with each other. And in the meantime, God calls us to wait patiently upon Him. I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank You for the truth of Scripture. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that You became like us in every respect yet without sin so that You might be the perfect sacrifice for us. We pray that you would help us in our struggles, that you would help us to be patient, that you would help us to trust that you are indeed a God who loves us with a steadfast, never giving up kind of love, and that you are compassionate toward your children. Give us the grace that we need to be compassionate to each other, to look to you for our hope and our strength. And to know that you are a God who is full of mercy for us. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning that you would strengthen them in whatever place in their lives that they're struggling to wait upon you. That they would know and believe that you will indeed accomplish your good purposes in their lives. And in the meantime, that you will walk with them, that you will walk beside us and know what it's like be in our shoes, and we thank you for that gift. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Um, If you're here this morning and you've never responded in faith to the gospel, um, the offer of salvation that, that Jesus came into the earth and took on flesh and lived the life that we were called to live perfectly, and that all we do to receive that gift of salvation is to acknowledge our sins, repent, and turn toward Jesus in faith, then, and this morning, if the Lord's calling you to make that public, then we invite you to do so.